Hello there and a very warm welcome to Des's Island Discs. In a hectic world, this is a little oasis of calm and nostalgia from our guests who choose pieces of music that remind them of a particular time or story from their life or career. Now, if you're listening on podcast, we cannot play the music because of copyright laws. But really, this is about stories. So let's hear them. Des's Island Discs on RTE Radio 1. Now, today's guest doesn't need much of an introduction. A Dubliner, twice named Sports Manager of the Year for success with Irish international underage teams. He guided St. Patrick's Athletic to long-awaited league titles before finishing his career at senior international level with both the Republic of Ireland and then the Faroe Islands. He's now a hugely popular commentator and analyst. It's a pleasure to welcome Brian Kerr. And Brian, can I initially take you back 50 years to you becoming a football coach at the remarkably young age of 13. Can you remember any of the lads on that team? I would, yeah, Des. I mean, there were all lads that lived around me in Drimna, but the first official team I had was a Crumlin United team when I was playing under 15 myself and uh, along with Desi Bourne, another lad that w- was with me with the team, we managed an under 13 side. You know, I could rhyme off those lads because I have the records of every match we played that season. It was, you know, Mickey Moore and Harry Goy and Matty Rowland, Jared <laughs> Howard, Christy Loughran, Joe Ennis, Johnny McGarry, <laughs> Anto Slaughter. I still see some of these lads around. There's a lot of them involved in football still, managing teams themselves. And and how did they react to the fact that you were only two years older than them? Oh, I think they respected the, the fact that I was very enthusiastic. And, you know, there was always a bit of extra guidance around. You know, what I did was made sure we had the, the players were there, that they knew where we were playing, what time the matches were at. Made sure we got the right bus when we were <laughs> travelling out to far-flung spots like Whitehall or Sally Noggin or whatever it was. And... And and then pick the team and put a bit of a shape on the team because I knew where players should play and what their what their ability should be in different positions because even at that stage I'd already been at thousands of matches I'd say there's I was at matches left right and centre in all sorts of sports not just in football but I had a good idea of what the requirements for each position on the football pitch yeah and that's what I did and encouraged them and we, we did quite well from the off I had I had good teams and we were we were quite successful even from the beginning Your own friends they didn't think it strange you were into coaching at such a young age um, I suppose some of them did I mean I was still playing you know when I had that first team with Crumlin I was playing under 15 myself I was, but we were in the top section in school by fi- football and 15A as it was then 16A then I was playing you know under 17A I went to Shelbourne actually at that stage, and a manager of Shelbourne became a great friend of mine, Jerry Morden, and he always gave me encouragement as a, as a kind of a manager and a coach. And I started going on coaching courses then. You know, the the late day because he only died recently. He was, he was one of the first tutors that I ever went in a coaching course with. A Billy Young for a period before that, the famous Bowes manager. Billy's still a great fella. Still see him at the odd game when we we have games, but. You know, I had started my coach education at that stage, Des, and I, I tried to keep up with what was going on and, and, and what what a manager and a coach was about, that it wasn't just about shouting and roaring on the touchline like a mad parent. It was also about guiding players and being able to have proper training sessions and structured training sessions. And I, I, I suppose I got the hang of that at quite a young age while I was still playing. But my frustration, Des, was I wasn't a, I wasn't a great player. I couldn't 
couldn't play at the level that I really aspired to. I wanted to be a very good good player. I wanted to play in the League of Ireland, but I was, I was never good enough. But your 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 skill as a coach was obviously recognised because you were an assistant to Liam Toohey at a reasonably young age with international underage teams. Yeah, well, Toohey had brought me to, to Shamrock Rovers when I was uh, 20 years of age to manage their youth team. Rovers hadn't had a youth team for a good while. So he brought me to, to, to Milltown. You know, I, I, I was only 20 years of age. I was I could have got away with playing as a banger myself there as I was only small, you know, and I probably looked under 18. So I knew Tui from that period. And Liam then put Noel and myself together with the youth international teams in 1982. He became the youth team manager, having previously been the international manager in 1974. He brought Noel O'Reilly and myself together and we had, we had a great period with the underage international teams. We were at three European finals and and the, and the World Cup in um, in Georgia in 1985. They were marvellous experiences and also great learning experiences because he was an incredible, incredible bloke, incredible teacher, absolutely inspiring fella to be around. And um, he, you know, he, he helped me along the way in my coaching career, gave me some breaks here and there and and uh, and we had great fun over in that time as well, as well as, as winning some matches and developing a lot of good players that went on to have senior international careers, the likes of Terry Field and Dennis Irwin, I'd say in particular, where Niall Quinn was part of one of those teams too. We had a lot of very good players. We'll come back. We'll come back to that in a moment. Your first musical choice is from later in your career. Uh, and it's Robert Miles. Yeah, Robert Miles was an um, an Italian DJ and composer. And uh, this song is called Children Days. And why it sticks to me so much, it came out early that year, the year 1996. And we won the league with St. Patrick's Athletic 95-96, our second league title, last one in 1990. But what I remember about it was that on the Saturday, we won in the dark on the Friday night with a great win in the dark. We needed to win and uh, to stop it going to the last game against Shelbourne, we won 2-1, Paul Campbell got a superb goal, stuck it up in the top corner with a free kick late on. Ricky O'Flaherty had equalised. I think Tom McNulty might have scored for them earlier in the game. But the next day, I was due to go into war to ye um, for Saturday Sport. George Hamilton was presenting. Mm-hmm. Now, I got delayed because I got delayed in the dock and I got delayed in Inchicore. And then I mislaid my car keys and I mislaid my car <laughs> and it turned out to be a little bit of a, a, late a night. Prob- problematic <laughs> and a late night and an early morning before I, 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 I arose for the new day on the Saturday. But I eventually got into RTE and I remember on the Saturday Sport programme, uh, a montage of all our, our goals of the season and particularly the highlights from the night before. And they used the Robert Miles children song which is which, which is an instrumental tune basically mm. over that those powerful scenes of 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 the of the the winning of the league and particularly the night in the dark and ever after when i hear that tune i always think of the dark and in fairness to my kids when they hear it they associate with that too and often when i was going to matches around the country after i would play that album but particularly that song used to be on repeat Des's Island Discs on RTE Radio 1. That's Children by Robert Miles, the choice of today's guest, Brian Kerr. And Brian, we should point out, those who know you well would know 
Others won't. You have a huge love of music, a broad spectrum of music. Yeah, but look, most people have theirs. You know, everybody likes songs. Everyone's like, and particularly in these times we're going through at the moment, when there's not an awful lot happening, you find yourself having a bit of time going back to some of the old old music and old old bands that you liked, and and getting a chance to to listen to some new stuff as well, which you can't always keep up with. But yeah, I, I, I have a good interest in music across the board from Irish traditional music and the great Irish singers and, you know, the likes of Rory Gallagher and Philip Linnett and people like that who, who you know, I grew, grew up with, you too, and so on, to, to what we have around now uh, and the people who are making breakthroughs now. So I, I've always had a, a, a wide interest, not just in any particular area of Irish or genre, as they call it, of, of, of music. But, you know, I like to hear different stuff. I like to keep up with what, what's going on if I can. So this is an interesting one, Des, a difficult one for me to pick three songs, I can yeah, tell you that. I was thinking, because you went to a lot of the gigs back in the day, didn't you? Yeah, and, I, I, you know, up until quite recently, until it all stopped, I still tried to get to a few gigs, still tried to get to Vicar Street now and again, and Wheelands now and again, and even the bigger places. I, I'm not mad about the big venues. You know, I've often liked to see bands before they break to the big time and they end up down the point or the three arenas, it's called now. I used to like to see bands when they were playing in small places like um, the SFX uh, when, that, when that was gone. But sure. equally, I, 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 I love a gig. I love an outdoor gig. I like the summer festivals if I can ever get to them. I haven't got to too many of them. They always seem to coincide with football weekends and matches and tournaments and European Championship matches. And I've missed a few. But I still I still got to the Rory Gallagher Festival last year up in Ballyshan, which for a couple you? of days, which I was delighted about. Let's get back to the football career then. So Liam Toohey had been a great mentor to you and then you took over as manager of the Irish underage teams and there followed unprecedented success. Yeah, well, you know, in 1997, actually, uh, the vacancy after the Jack Chart and Morris Sellers era, the vacancy came up for the youth team manager's job. I, I felt that area of the game had been neglected in Ireland uh, and the attention to the international team had wavered to the underage teams. I mean, it was glory, glory with Jack Chart with the, the World Cup and the Euros, 88, 90, 94, all that. But the youth teams at the same time were, were struggling and were, were taking some bad beatings. So I decided to apply for the job, Des, and I, I hoped I might be able to do something with it. I was working in UCD at the time. I was managing Pats and I hoped I'd be able to keep on the, the Pats one and maybe take a bit of a break from UCD. But as it turned out, the FEI insisted that it was kind of all or nothing. So I had to give up some Pats, which I, I, I loved. I loved the club. I still love the club. I had 10 good, great years there. I went and, and, and threw my lot in with the FEI to take on the youths teams. And I was fortunate enough that I was able to bring Ola Riley in with me and some other very good staff over over the over the years, and uh, it, it it went well. We got off to a great start, but we went to the World Cup in '97, the World Cup under twenty, and finished toward three weeks in in Malaysia. Then we had a, a sensational year in 1998 when we won a few trophies. This yeah, it was it was fantastic, and of course, hugely talented players came through at that stage. A whole host of them. I know you wouldn't like casual followers. Robbie Keane, Damien Duff, Richard Dunn, the whole host of those guys came through that era. John O'Shea and uh, Andy Reid, Damien, as you said. There was a, a lot of good players. John Thompson, 
Joe Murphy, the goalkeeper. A lot of players got capped, but look, you know, that, that would have happened anyway, Des. We, what we did, you know, Richard Dunn was another one who, who was a great career after. Steve McPhail, midfield player, mm. brilliant, brilliant for us. Liam George, uh, Richie Partridge, who's physio at Liverpool until recently, but another great player, Keith Doyle, it was at Pats. But th- look, these players would have would have had good careers anyway, Des. We just played a little bit of a part in shining them up. They were jewels at the start and it wasn't down to the work that Noel and myself did. We just gave them a bit of a platform, some international experience, maybe helped to develop their potential, but brought a lot of joy along the way. The number of people who I meet say, I'll never forget the, the night is be, you know, Italy to win that final yeah. in Scotland, watching on the telly and or, or when we, we, we got to a place in Malaysia, the semi-final with Argentina, we, we were narrowly pipped. But people remember those games, mm. us beating Ghana, beating Germany on penalties in the final in uh, in Cyprus, the penalty shootout, the, the the drama of that, the saves by Alex O'Reilly in the penalty, penalty shootout, the marvellous goal that Alan Quinn scored, set up by Robbie Keane. So people have memories of those things and those players advancing into the national team. But look, it, it was... It was a pleasure and an honour to be involved with so many of them when when they were shown that potential as young players. You know what it's like this, working with young people, young players with enthusiasm and, and potential and, and then the pleasure you get in seeing them develop and come through at the highest levels later in their lives. Yeah, I remember you telling me once though that when you'd be away on trips, you always like to try and educate them a bit about where you were. You know, a lot of people, their teams and, and, and they go and, and the sport is very serious and you... you, you Players and coaches might just see the hotel and the training ground and and the stadium where they play the match and then back to the airport. We always, and it went back to Tui's time, we always tried to bring the players on a bit of an outing and let them know a bit about what was going on in the area. And it might be that we brought them to a museum. They might not always have been delighted about (laughs) what was ahead of them when we told them the night before. But when they got there, they generally got into it and gave them a little bit of a feeling for for a place. I can remember one in particular in in Latvia bringing them to a a museum that went back to the um, back to the, the the second world war and people uh, what happened under the regime and Russian Empire at that time and uh, some of the awfulness that happened to a lot of the population at that time and the players saw things like that I mean you know it was other stuff I remember in Roskilde in Denmark bringing them to a museum there it was a Viking museum with all stuff that it looked like it was had been robbed from Ireland <laughs> and we were kind of telling the players to resist robbing it back and bringing it back with us back to Ireland we always had this little bit that it shouldn't be just about football that taking the opportunity in such a variety of countries that we were in, that they should get a little bit of history and geography around a bit as well. It yeah. shouldn't be just only football. And maybe later in their lives they'd like to come back and see some of these places as real tourists. And, and one extraordinary thing for you must be, so you, you brought through those teams and you saw some of them become household names and millionaires and others struggling. You know, it's, it's, it's a thin line, isn't it? It is, Des, but I, I, I think we always try to keep them aware of the pitfalls and try to put some emphasis on the other parts of their lives by encouraging them to do whatever courses were available at the clubs. I mean, a lot of the clubs wouldn't have been particularly interested, wouldn't have been a lot of pressure on them to keep up education. But I think we we, 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 we try to 
broaden their horizons a little bit and broaden their thought processes that, that, that wasn't purely about making it as a footballer even down to you know Noel Noel O'Reilly's magnificent interest in music as well but his ability as well there as I, I can remember and Andy Reid only mentioned to me lately about Noel teaching him how to play the guitar and sing certain songs and sing Christy Moore songs and teaching them the words and but also educational stuff as well and suggesting that fellas had talent. So to be aware of that, but you know, in fairness, I think most of the players we had have made good careers for themselves, not only just as 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 footballers and the great careers that some of the players we've mentioned earlier but some of them like Liam George he's working as a as a, a as a physio and uh, it's his own setup has his own practice as R- Richie Partridge is working as a, as a physio full time it's mm. remarkable how many of them went into that but many of the others went into very very steady and employment that they needed to get further for qualifications in and went back to further education after their football careers maybe meandered a little bit through the League of Ireland and lower levels of football, but they 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 understood that they that there were there were other opportunities out there if they expanded their their education. Great. Your second musical choice, Brian Kerr, is Paul Brady. Yeah, well, I could have went for you know a hundred Paul Brady songs. There's, I mean, Paul Brady's always been a, 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 a someone who I've admired greatly. Going back to seeing him in the very early days in a, in a band called the Johnsons in a, in a hall in O'Connell Street. It was a, it was a recorded programme for RTE. I'm not sure what the programme was actually called, but I remember it was a live programme. You had to apply for tickets. I was only a young fellow and I went to see the Johnsons and I was very impressed. And Paul went out on his own. I saw him in loads and loads of venues around Dublin over the years. And he, he's a magnificent art, artist. Heard him recently on... Uh, on with Miriam on a Sunday morning, still producing beautiful records, new songs. But I managed to get him, Paul, to come in to play for the international team. And I was managing the senior international team. And he came out and played a concert for the players one night. Not all the players would have been over familiar with them. I used to think the players were, sometimes their, their musical choices were a bit, um, oh, what would they call it? Well, it was different than I, yours. No, yeah, but not very cultured, I would have thought, you know, and I was trying to give them a little bit of something else. And the idea of bringing in Paul Brady, I thought, was was a clever one, but also one that would might inspire them. And it was, it was just before we went to France for a very important match. And Paul came in and played in the restaurant of the Port Marnock Hotel that we were staying in, in front of, it's a hard audience, maybe 23 players sitting with their arms folded in tracksuits saying, come on, entertain us, yeah. show, show us what you're made of. He, he he was brilliant. Um, he did it with style. He did it with charisma. And the genius of him as a as a guitar player and as a, a as a songwriter. So crazy dreams, a song I've always liked. It's a, it's a loved song, but I like some of the lines in it particular. And even the idea of crazy dreams, I often had them myself. And I felt at that time I was fulfilling some of mine by managing the Irish international team, being in control or in charge, I suppose, of such brilliant players. You know, I'll always be indebted to Paul for coming in and playing his songs that night for us in front of the team. I think inspiring them, and I think they all became big fans of his afterwards. Des's Island Discs on RTE Radio 1. That's Paul Brady and Crazy Dreams, the choice of today's guest, Brian Kerr. Brian, your love of St. Patrick's Athletic, explain why it's such a deep love. Well, it was the first... um, Big matches, a big match I ever went to was in Inchicore in Richmond Park when I was eight years of age. 
Pats were playing Cork Celtic, actually. There's, they were beaten 8-2 on the day. But like I think most kids, well, maybe in different sports, but when you go and you see that green pitch, mightn't even then, it, in those days, it wouldn't have been a green sward, beautiful green sword. It would have been fairly mucky. bumpy and lumpy and there probably a lot of mucky patches on it. But to see it and the lines marked and the people packed in around what then was a wooden fence around the pitch in, in Chikar and the excitement and the cheering and... It was just something that I grew, uh, I grew a love for at a very, very early stage of my life. And you know, even standing on the grassy bank as it was then on the Camac side, it's a bit posher now. There's there's terracing and bars and all that, but the Camac is still bubbling along, running along down behind you, over on the far side. And I still stand there. There's fifty years later, or I mean, nearly sixty years later, I'm still going there. Um, they gave me my first opportunity to manage in the League of Ireland. I was never good enough to play for them. I got to manage them for 10, 10 years. Lots of, lots of ups and downs in that 10 years. But I always had a great support from the board, from the chairman, the different chairmen and owners. I never had a day when the supporters booed, whether results were good or bad. I, I, I left it with great memories and in good shape. And it was carried on then, then uh, four of them by... Pat Olin and Liam Buckley and all the managers that have come after me. I still love to go down there and watch Pats and, and be, be just a supporter now and stand on the terrace with the same frustrations and annoyances at times, but always going with hope that it's going to be a good night's football and we're going to come home after seeing a good result and, and good entertainment. Your career at Pinnacle was managing the Republic of Ireland senior team. Uh, was that an enjoyable time? It was an enjoyable time, Des. It was the pinnacle, as you said, of anyone's career. To manage, manage your own national team, it's a, a remarkable honour. You know, and, and particularly for me, I never was good enough. Never, never good enough to get one game in the League of Ireland. And I was never good enough to play at international level or at, at, at any of the underage grades or anything like that. You know, to manage the senior international team and to, ha to have a reasonable go at it and to have a lot of very exciting days and play against such... Great teams. I mean, we we played Brazil days when I was manager in a friendly game, and they were the World Cup champions in 2002. And then we 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 played Italy in a friendly in 2005. They became the World Cup the World Cup winners in 2006. And playing at that, that those type of teams, Croatia were such a great team at that time. The French team was such a great team at that time. It was an extraordinary experience, and the one I'll never forget. And it was every day wasn't easy by any means and the frustration of not getting the results that I felt we deserved and I kind of thought we, we were going to achieve was frustrating. It, it was a brilliant, brilliant time. And then the Faroe Islands, that was that was a, a strange place to be but you loved it. Well I did as we played there near the end of my time with the Irish team, we played away to the Faroe Islands in, um, I think it was in, 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 in June, um, in June in the year probably that that I finished up with, with, with the Irish team, probably um maybe two thousand five I think it was. But we um well when I was in the Pharaoh's days, I just thought it was such a beautiful place. It was such a remarkably different place. The only place I'd ever been that compared to it was Iceland. And if I was comparing it for someone in, in Ireland, I would say it was a bit like Ackle multiplied by a hundred <laughs> in the, it was it was remote it was beautiful. It was was mountainous. The people live live near the edge where the where the sea came into contact with the with the rocks, and there was a bit of bit of level ground to stick a few houses. But they didn't mind building up along the hills. 
I, I was just very impressed with it when I was there. I mean, there's a scattering of alien islands around the um, uh, out in the North Atlantic, and the m- majority of them are joined up by tunnels under the sea. Some with bridges that um, where the distances aren't too far between them, but it's just a remarkable geography and the most scenic place you could ma- imagine in the world. But from a football point of view, I took it as a challenge that you know they hadn't won a game for a good few years before I went there, and I said. I'll go there and try and do something. It's a bit like starting again at the lowest level of football in a club or a team where someone tells you, look, you're at the bottom and it'll be a struggle to get anywhere. But you know in your heart and soul, you might be able to do something with it and take on the challenge. And that's what I decided to do. Enjoyed the the three years I was there very much. And your final musical choice, you 2 reminds you of that. Yeah, because, um, I mean, again, you 2 is a, a, a band, you know, they've, been part of my life for so long. Again, another band I would have seen in in, in their early days. I, I I saw them in the SFX when there was probably about a thousand people there one night. And I've seen them in, in lots of venues, seen them in big venues. Obviously, generally it's Crow Park when they come back here now or the, the Tree Arena, exceptional gig in the last year or two. I saw them abroad as well, which was incredible experience to see them outside the country. But, you know, I've always loved the music, always loved their style, their longevity is is extraordinary. Bono turned 60 recently and uh, I've been listening to his choice of his 60 favourite songs through his life. But for me, look, you know, there's lots of song- songs I could have chosen, but I chose Beautiful Day because I think the words of the song are, are, are very interesting. There's a lot of contrast in it of emotions, but there are some great descriptions of, of the natural beauty in the world that can be identified. And I used to play U2 albums as I drove around the Pharaohs at the weekends, particularly on a Sunday. I could make three or four games. I could catch a half an hour here, a half a match there, move on to another island, drive for 20 minutes, a half an hour, through a tunnel under the sea, up to uh, Runovic or Tofter or Gotha or another beautiful venue somewhere in the mount- mountains, up in the hills of the Faroe Islands. And as I drove, you know, often played you too, and this song comes back to me again, Beautiful Day. Well, it's a great way to finish, Brian Kerr. Lovely to share your memories. Continued success to you. Thanks for joining us, Brian. It's a pleasure, Des. Thanks for having me on. Des's Island Discs on RTE Radio 1.